Hey, you guys, welcome back to Sir Palsy and Fitness Podcast. I'm here with Eric Dagati, who is a personal trainer with 20 years plus experience in training professional athletes and people in our daily lives. Welcome, Eric. Thanks for having me, David. So to kind of start out uh, the podcast, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into fitness and how you've developed this program to where you've you trained uh, professional athletes and what kind of um, exercise routines do you incorporate with those individuals? Okay. Well, a lot of stuff to cover there. So um, going on year number 25 uh, in 2023 of doing this, um, started out just as a personal trainer and um, kind of working my way through the ranks. I, I was a um, amateur competitive bodybuilder a million years ago. And kind of that, you know, that was one of my, my drivers and said, okay, I'll see if I can make my way in fitness as a trainer. Um, and had some early success and, and, you know, some of that wasn't by, uh, luck. It was by, you know, just a lot of hard work. And, uh, from there created a lot of different opportunities and, uh, saw the, a lot of the, the doors that, that fitness can open. I saw it a lot more than what it was at the time, late nineties. It was, Hey, you know, a personal trainer was just kind of a, I joke, it was a rent a friend where it was just, you know, it was like, I'm going to just kind of pay somebody for an hour to show me some exercises. And usually those people knew just a little bit more than the people that were training. Um, and so it was, it was kind of transactional. It wasn't really um, anything that was seen to be much of other than that, that I'm just going to get paid dollars for hours and, and I just do training sessions and show exercises. But then I saw that there was a little bit more to it and uh, really got into digging a little bit deeper into um, finding out more about people, whether it was uh, doing deeper evaluations on how they move or how they perform or finding just, you know, more about kind of what made them tick and their habits and their goals and and their backgrounds and those sorts of things. And really kind of started to become known as the, the trainer that worked with people that everybody else couldn't figure out. And, <laughs> uh, and that's kind of led into a lot of different pathways, whether it's been working with, um, you know, the people who, who have gone, I've gone to every doctor and they can't figure out my back pain or whatever, or I have this situation and the doctors have told me just deal with it. Um, but I don't want to deal with it. I want to be able to be fit and robust and I know I can get more out of myself and can you help me in, in doing that? And then, uh, you know, you take that to people who get paid to use their bodies and that's, that's athletes, uh, at the highest level. And, you know, fortunate enough to work with athletes from, from multiple different professional sports and all the way down to, you know, the, the high school level. So, uh, it's been, a, it's been a lot of different things and in terms of what we do with each of them. It's really depends on what they need. So uh, sometimes the MLB baseball player is doing a similar exercise program to the, you know, um, you know, weekend warrior, because maybe they both have similar needs in terms of their mobility and, and, and their, their movement and so forth, but they're also going out to much higher demand. So they may start looking the same, but they're not going to end up looking the same. Right. It's, it's a, uh... It's funny that you mentioned that because uh, you, you you think that uh, age also plays a factor in our fitness. As we get older, you, you might think that you might be able to lift, you know, a thousand. I mean, just to put a number out there, like a thousand pounds, you might be able to deadlift that. And then when you get older, you're like, man, I can't do this anymore. Like for me, I've been in fitness for 
17, 18 years. And I used to do, uh, you know, used to do, uh, you know, weight, weightlifting and all kinds of stuff with, uh, you know, with my disability and people were impressed. And then one day I had somebody come up to me and say, you know, quality is better than quantity. And I realized, I realized that the hard way because I was, uh, I was lifting one day and I, I spray, I took out my back in the middle of a, in the middle of a set. And luckily I had a friend with me. So I, I literally like try to hunch over my friend, you know, try to walk as good as I can. Cause you know, I'm, you know, cause I have, I walk with the cane and I hunch over and I walk over to him and he, he was like, you look like a hunchback in Notre Dame. What happened? He's like, well, I was doing that. I was doing rows and I, I went lifted. I went in a road wrong for one set. And my back just went out and I'm like, you know what, this is, this is a sign that, that I need to slow down. I need to lower the rep, lower the, lower the weight and do more reps and, and realize that even though I'm, I'm 31, that I'm going to get older, that my fitness routine will change, that my habits will change and uh, go from there. So when people get hurt working out and, and unfortunately you're not the only one, um, there's, there's a high in, high instances of people getting injured while they're working out, which when you take a step back from all of it, David, it's kind of silly, right? Your whole, your whole yeah. purpose of why you work out is to be healthier and more robust and more resilient. And the very thing that you're doing is actually hurting you, um, which has always kind of been kind of crazy to me. So, yeah. um, you know, the first thing we look at is when someone gets hurt working out, I, I say it, it usually comes down to one of three reasons or a combination. One is a um, movement competency issue, meaning let's say if you got somebody who can't even touch your toes, right? And then, but then they're trying to deadlift the bar from the ground. Uh, they probably can't even get into the positions and postures to do it right if they wanted to. So you can have the greatest, you know, deadlifting coach in the world standing there. If they can't even get into position to grip the bar, right, set their feet, right, those sorts of things, it's just setting up for disaster. So you have to be able to move well enough yes. to do the exercises that you're asking to do. The second thing is, is you have to have a certain amount of capacity. And that's kind of what you were alluded to before. Like I may have perfect form with 200 pounds, but when I go to 225, my form goes away so, because I'm trying, I, I can't maintain that. And so that's just a capacity issue um, where I'm trying to do too much load, or maybe my form was perfect on the first three sets. It's that fourth set when I got tired, that's what got me. Or maybe normally I could do that weight, but I had a lousy night's sleep the night before and I have a you know, terrible recovery and that I, I couldn't handle that. Or I usually do it at the beginning of my workout, but now I'm fatigued and now that's an issue. So that's a capacity issue. Or the third thing is exercise skill. You just don't know what you're doing. You know, I work with high school kids a lot and and walk into any high school weight room and it's a nightmare Ugh. of kids just trying to, to because they want to, you know, max out every single time they lift. Yeah. And it's, they, first of all, you don't have enough exercise skill to even get an accurate max. And so you need to actually learn how to execute exercises. Um, and that's another important thing as well. So it's one of those three things is what's going to get you. If you're going to get hurt and hurt in the weight room, you could still get hurt with lightweights. You can, um, oh, still yeah. move really well and still get hurt. Um, you could be really strong and still get hurt. You just have to make sure one of all those three things are checked as you go to kind of execute a program. All right. As, as you mentioned, when you mentioned high schoolers, um, I work with middle schoolers and they're the same way. And it's more of a same way, just worse. It's, it's worse. <laughs> and then it's more of an ego thing of, you know, I could live more than you. So I would have put 75 pounds and, and, and try to lift it. And now you see, you see him struggling. You're like, dude, keep your ego 
out of the class and do what you need to do correctly. Like, you know. So the, what I try to do with that is they have to kind of earn their stripes uh, in, in the programming and, and having baselines and guidelines kind of helps with that. So like, I'll give you an example that that's uh, I, I refer to quite a bit is uh, with pull-ups and chin-ups, right? Awesome exercise, but there has to be, there's, there has to be some sort of le- learning curve. If not, they're just kind of swinging from a bar and it's just ugly and they can yeah. end up really putting a lot of stress on their shoulders, neck and everything. So here's, here's the progression. You have to be able to do a straight arm hang, basically palms facing forward, arms locked out, straight arm hang for a minimum of 60 seconds. Okay. So if you can't do that, guess what you do? You keep doing a hang straight arm hang until you can, um, as well as a bunch of other things, but that's, that's kind of the progression. Once you can do that, well, then now you're going to do a bent arm hang, which is basically the top of a chin up, just palms facing you. You got to be able to do that for 30 seconds. Now, if you can do both of those, then I'll let you start to introduce chin ups. But if you haven't done those, you're not allowed to do chin ups. So it's not that yeah. I don't like you or it's a bad exercise. It's that's where you kind of earn your stripes. So think of it almost like martial arts that I don't get to walk into the dojo day one and spar with the black belts. I have to earn kind of earn my, my stripes to get there. And that's the right. same thing. It should be when you are trying to acquire the skill of strength that you need to work through certain things. You need to be able to check, check certain boxes first. So that's how I have the progression to say, okay, you can lift as much as you can control, but you have to be able to do these things first. Right. It's uh, you know, take it step by step, you know, take it slowly, listen to uh, what your coaches are saying you know, what advice are giving you, because it might, it might help you um, in the long run, you know, you know, it's not just you do it and you do it yourself. You gotta, if you have somebody that's willing to train you, you know, take advantage of it. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, I saw that you've trained uh, clients on base. Is it like military that you've trained? So uh Yes. And, and no. Okay. So on base, which you're probably seeing there in my, in my, uh, uh, bio on base university is, uh, a, it's a, a certification specific to training baseball and softball athletes. So, okay, cool. uh, and so what that is, is I'm, a, uh, on the advisory board for that, where it's a way to create physical connections, what they call the, um, the body swing connection or the, the, um, so we look at the, 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 sw- the uh, hitter swing and say, are there certain connections to say if a, a hitter has a flaw in their swing, is it a physical reason why that's, that's there? And then how do we detect and correct that? That's what the on basis, but to answer your question, yes, uh, I've had the good fortune in, as being a lead instructor for functional movement systems, I've taught workshops on multiple, uh, military bases, um, Awesome. And so I've had the, the good fortune of working uh, with two of the staffs that work with the SEAL teams, um, uh, gotten to, to be at Camp Lejeune, gotten to be at uh, uh, Norfolk, a bunch of different bases that I've gotten to, to teach workshops at. And it's always, always puts me in awe of what our military does for us and, and you know, who and what those people are. Hey, it's, uh, it's, it's truly, when you get something like that, it's truly a privilege because you get to see... Uh how much you do firsthand, but then also how thankful they are that you took the time to help uh, train them and get ready for uh, for combat, essentially, you know, just 
Physically. And when you look, or you talk about professional athletes, they, when you talk about uh, special forces, they're investing as much money into a special uh, forces soldier as they are an NFL athlete. Um, and that what they have to do to prepare on all different aspects of that is just incredible. And so, you know, my absolutely minuscule part of that was helping them create um, kind of processes to, to keep them healthier during the training component. Um, it takes grueling training to be prepared to, to do the things that they do. And so to be able to do that, they want to look for mechanisms to try to minimize the injuries and in training, because that was one of the issues that they had is, is that they were having people break down, not doing, you know, military stuff, but actually breaking down training to do military stuff, which oh, kind of goes back to our, our conversation from before is that, that the training should fortify you, not break you down. Oh yeah. That's, that's, that's one thing. Uh, I guess I didn't start really training until I was like 14, uh, until I was like 14, 15. And then that was like midway through my uh, sporting career because I did, I did football, baseball, and I was a, I'm a former three-time state champion cyclist. And I started training like way like after. And then I noticed how, you know, physically I started feeling better. And then uh, coming out of high school, I was scouted by the Paralympic committee in Tampa, you know, the Paralympics. Because they, they they had seen they had seen tapes of me how how good I was you know on the bike and I mean I was literally I went undefeated for three and a half years no one in no one in the state of Florida could could essentially you know beat me and uh, eventually my fourth year I was injured and I made it to state but didn't didn't medal so I said you know I went through and then took a five year hiatus. Came back and they were still they still wanted me to compete, you know, at the professional level. But then I said, you know what, my body says I can't do this anymore, you know, physically. And I said, you know, your mind lasts forever, but your body doesn't. So might as well pursue something else that you enjoy and and walk away when you can, you know, because I was offered a six figure contract, sponsorships, everything, and I turned it down. But I, I don't regret it. That's a pretty remarkable career. Yep. Um, and then do you have any, any like advice for those like myself who have physical disabilities or have you dabbled with people with disabilities when it comes to fitness? I actually have, uh, and I've worked with, uh, multiple people with CP and people, other people with neurological, uh, uh, disorders or, uh, paralysis, things like that. And the biggest thing is, is really the, the, the starting point is the same. The starting point is let's see what you can do and let's see what you can't do. Now, if there's some things that you can't do that are beyond our control, then we don't necessarily worry about those. We just factor those in and then let's see and, and hammer down what we can do. And so that's, that's the first thing. And so each person is a little bit unique. So you take someone like yourself, who's got a, a very strong athletic background. That's a little bit different than the person who gets diagnosed in their forties and now comes to me who really has, doesn't have any exercise history. So each, each case is a little bit unique. Um, um, but then focusing on what you can do is, is really the, the big thing. Cause the more you fortify that, what you find is, is that it starts to bring back some of those things that you used to not be able to do um, to, to certain extents. The other thing is kind of learning 
how we move in the first place is is really important in in working with the neurological system in that um, we go through this what they call the neural neurological uh, development uh, neurodevelopmental sequence okay so i always you know talk when when i teach workshops on on movement as i say uh, you know by a show of hands who here had a movement coach when they were in, when they were a child to, that taught you how to basically roll over and crawl and stand and walk and so forth and everybody kind of looks at each other and, 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 and smiles. And I say, okay, well, because you didn't need one, right? Because what happens is, is we have our hardware, that's our muscles, our joints, our bones, that's the stuff you see in the mirror. And then the software is what makes that go. Like muscles that in and of themselves are, are just, I, I joke, they're kind of stupid. If you just took your bicep out, lay it on a table, it's not going to do anything. But if you hook up a car battery to it, it'll contract because it's going on these electrical impulses that are fed through our nervous system, right? Whether it's consciously, like I'm going to throw you a ball at Dave, or reflexively as you throw a ball to me and I have to react. Now with that, those impulses are based on motor programs that we have, um, again, either consciously or reflexively, just like we, um, and we have certain ones that are, that are built into our, our software that are kind of like the operating system of the body that we, we just kind of innately develop as we go through our first 24 months of life. So you start with eye tracking and then you go to lift your head and then you go to kind of press up off the ground and then you kind of scoot forward. And then you start to realize that you can use opposite arm and leg and you start to develop those reciprocal patterns when you crawl. And then you go from there for to up into kneeling postures and then eventually from kneeling, transitioning to standing and then standing to, to walking. And then once we get to there, then we can learn to, to carry and jump and do those sorts of things. So all this is happening during your first 24 months. And we have, just like I talked about kind of guidelines and, and um, checkpoints, uh, you have those where your pediatrician says, okay, are they sitting up on their own? Are they doing these things on their own? Just to know if you're, you're on track on that neurodevelopmental sequence. Now, the problem is after our first 24 months, nobody cares about it anymore. Nobody asks yeah. it and, and checks back. And we spend the next, I always joke, the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years screwing that beautiful, graceful movement up. And so um, when someone comes in and they don't move well for whatever reason, we always go back to that neural developmental sequence and say, okay, first thing we want to do is we want to regain any mobility that's been lost. Okay. And so where is most of our mobility loss? It's doing what we're doing right now, sitting in a chair and a desk. Um, and so that'll start to shorten some tissues and change your posture and change your habits of kind of how you hold up your body, you start to hang on your joints a little bit. And so we have to kind of rebuild some of that mobility. So you have access to full ranges of motion uh, where you need to. Okay. And the common areas are your ankles, your hips, and your, and your upper, your torso, your rib cage and, and upper back. Now, once we regain that mobility, we have to start teaching what to do with that. And we start by going through that sequence. So um, we'll start and that a lot of these patterns are extremely helpful um, in regaining neurological control. So starting with basic rolling patterns, uh, being able to roll from your back, to your stomach, stomach to your back and doing it in specific sequences um, is the first place we start. And then from there, we're going to go and go into hands and knees and what we call a quadruped position um, and start to, to do some different movements and, and challenges there. And then from there, we go up into kneeling positions and then finally up into standing. But if you look at most rehabilitative care, 
Um, it's, it's one extreme or the other you're laying on a treatment table, doing some clamshell exercises or, um, you know, the, uh, you know, a strap exercise or something like that on your back where no gravity is involved. And you jump right from there to now we're going to put you on your feet. And now we're going to have you, you know, either walk with assistance or do some kind of standing balance exercise. And there's, you're skipping so many steps in between there. And so because of that, people struggle. And so what we've, we found is that you can get tremendous results um, uh, it, by going through that, kind of going back through those same stages we did as toddlers to help regain movement. And then from there, and then it's just adding some, adding some capacities to those, ish, to those things and, and getting stronger. And you can do that all while you're training your movement. So uh, that's kind of the, the, the approach we take when we have anybody um, and then especially with people who have specific neurological challenges is take them through that sequence. It's going to take a little bit longer than it may take someone who doesn't, but that's going to be the biggest impact that I found uh, in, in that type of training. Oh man. Have I got to tell you a story about a, um, a, a table and the clamshells, man, I, I, um, I did physical therapy for, for, for years until I was, uh, 18 19 and then i mm-hmm. went back into it when i was in my mid-20s and then uh i had done you know i went in to get physical therapy again you know happy as can be because i was going to get you know treatment uh went there for six weeks thinking okay we did all the therapy i'm going to come back you know for however long I, I can uh one day i show up and they give me a piece of paper and they're like here do these at home and then they charge me for like $200 just for these, uh, for six weeks of therapy. And I'm like, I'm like, this doesn't seem right. And it doesn't make sense because physical therapy for someone like myself who has a disability is a necessity, you know, and for you to charge like this outrageous amount of money for six weeks, it's like, especially when there's somebody, I mean, I'm not saying everybody can afford it, but especially when somebody can't afford it, you know, it's like, right. And then not only that, but you mentioned how it's just basic stuff. It's not anything that'll really cause, you know, major improvement. So um, that's my story on it. So then yeah, that's when I un- unfortunately, the story. that's that story is not uncommon um, um, as as that industry has has become more and more uh, corporately driven. And they're and they're unfortunately strapped to have to crank through a certain number of patients in order to kind of pay the bills. And so it's, it's an unfortunate situation, but there are, uh, you know, on the flip side, some really good therapists who, who can absolutely impact lives. And, you know, the, the one story that, that I would share with you is, um, a, a guy that I became friendly with, who was an attendee at one of my courses, um, who we've since become friends, told an amazing story, uh, a guy by the name of Steve Carnes. And he was, uh, speaking of special forces, he was a special forces, um, uh, in the, uh, in England. And so he got to the point where he was actually training, um, the training upcoming cadets. And so one of the things he found is he found that there was lots of injuries in their training. And so he kind of found our system and that's how he became aware of it. Well, fast forward, he ends up having a major brain injury and wow. has to get as, and ends up needing, um, you know, extensive extension 20 hour surgery, um, and usually, you know, the prognosis after that is if you live through it, 
that, you know, you may walk with assistance at some point down the road. Um, and he, you know, he was in the hospital and he said, you know, they started his rehab. And the first thing they started doing was having him walk, um, you know, with the parallel bars with assistance. And he said, you know what, I've learned kind of what we talked about before with that neural development. This doesn't make sense. This just doesn't work for me. So he actually checked himself out of the hospital and went home and drove his own rehab, doing a lot of things we talked about where he would practice rolling. He would practice, um, you know, crawling, he would practice getting up into kneeling positions and he would fall down and he'd struggle. And he actually, uh, has a, uh, he kind of did a chronological video of all of this process happening. That's absolutely wow. awe-inspiring that you see at the end where he's climbing mountains, he's, he's working out, he's doing all these things to where he got back to where, when he walks in the room now, you would never know he had that injury. Uh, and it's absolutely inspiring. And now he actually speaks at, at conferences on, on um, you know, neurological injuries and, and uh, working with people with impairments. And he, he actually consults and, uh, you know, with and coaches people around the world in it. Um, and so he was a great inspiration to kind of show people what the capacities are, because unfortunately, a lot of times people are left saying, Hey, that's as good as you're going to get deal with it. Right. Just you yeah. create coping strategies to deal with that. And, and, you know, I would hope more and more people and the people that listen to this with you, Dave, don't settle for that. Please don't. Um, yeah, don't. you know, I had, uh, the, you know, another guy that I had worked with, um, Bob, he, um, he was in a motorcycle accident. And the motorcycle didn't get him. It's he had a bacteria that got into his spine while he was in the hospital and shut him down from from basically the waist down. And so he was in a wheelchair, Um, came into me and I was young as a trainer at the time. I didn't know a lot of things I knew now. I wish I did. And uh, I didn't know what to do with him, quite frankly. And it was really it took me and his wife to get him just on a seated chest press machine. And I, I only put him on the hat because it had a seatbelt on it. I didn't, was, I didn't know what else to do. Um, and so I just, you know, I just dove into the books and try to learn as much as I can with him and did whatever we could. And I worked with him for a couple of years and he came a long way to where we were, we were doing some stuff where it, we were doing a hybrid of both, but he could kind of walk pretty well without a walker. And we got a little bit unassisted and um, you know, he's progressing well, and one day his wife comes in and uh, she's like, did he tell you what he did this weekend? And I said, no. And he was, he was a real character, this guy. So I'm like, what did you do? You got in trouble again. You did something stupid, didn't you? And she goes, no. And she starts crying. And I said, what happened? He said, he walked his, water, his daughter down the aisle with a walker. No way. And I was like, wow. She said that the church doors open up and everybody just burst into tears. And it was to this day, it still chokes me up because- it just showed like he didn't, he didn't settle for that. His whole thing to me was, cause I, I, I told him flat out. I said, I'm like, Bob, I have no business working with you. I don't know what I'm doing here. I, you, you need to find somebody else. He's like, look, physical therapy, the, the insurance company cut off my physical therapy. So they say, basically said, it's either I go home and rot or I'm going to get whatever your best is. So whatever your best is, is what I'll take. So said, all right. And so I, I had an obligation then to give my, whatever my best could be, um, to get him to, to do whatever the best he could be. So, um, you know, I, again, don't kind of settle for, um, this is it. 
because it doesn't, you know, I, I can't promise you that you'll be signing, you know, pro contracts anytime soon, but you, but you can certainly, it's, it's amazing what you can do uh, if you, if you apply uh, challenge in the right way, if you apply and exercise being this magical thing that can do so much for so many people in so many ways. Yeah. I'm a, I, I'm a, well, that's, that's incredible for, for me to give you a little bit about, my background, I'm actually a spastic quad. I was never supposed to to walk at all. And uh, until the age of eight, I was confined to a wheelchair. And doctors told my parents, oh, he's never going to walk, never going to live a normal life, uh, never going to be successful. Um, thankfully, with their help, I was able to overcome a lot of obstacles, you know, through the education system. And, and then uh, physically, you know, I, I had so many challenges being able to walk and stuff. And um, losing my mom at a young age. Uh, then I, you know, my, my mom's dream was for me to walk. I began walking at the age of eight, took my first steps inside a footlocker in Puerto Rico. Um, without my parents knowing my, my, uh, my stepmom and my dad were somewhere else. I got up out of the chair, took maybe two, three steps and fell. My mom looks over and she's like, where's David at? And she looks at me on the floor. She's like, did you, did you walk up? She couldn't believe it at first. She's like, he walked all the way, you know, a couple paces and they couldn't believe it. You know, that after doctors had said I wouldn't be able to walk. And then um, I finished all my schooling, went to UCF, you know, I graduated with my bachelor's degree. On that day, I remember looking at the mirror and said, you did it. And then uh, I'm going to the arena and they had asked me, do you want to take the, the ramp or do you want to take the stairs? And I was 25 at the I was 24 turning 25 that that weekend mother's day weekend and i told them you know i waited 17 long years to be able to walk those stairs and i'm gonna walk i'm gonna walk those stairs so i took i took the rail went up that went up the uh the stairs up the stage and you could hear you know everybody was clapping happy and stuff beforehand it got really quiet and i'm thinking to myself nobody's gonna cheer you know nobody's going to uh Acknowledge if I can hear at least my family, it'd be great. You know, that's the only people I want to hear. And uh, I I took the cane, I took the cane, and I remember lifting it up, and that place erupted. I mean, you're talking about ten thousand people. That place was loud, and it was loud for about five minutes. I had to stop the commencement because it was so it was so emotional, and you could see people, you know, just crying. And it was just a journey that. Uh, it was a fight to get up there. You know, I wasn't supposed to go to college. I wasn't supposed to amount to anything. And here, here I am. I did it, you know, and that's uh, to, from, from losing my mom to there and to now, it just shows if, like you said, if you, if you keep working at it and you don't quit, there, there is no quit in my vocabulary, just like in your clients, there is no quit in them. They're willing to do anything they can to succeed in fitness and in life. That's so awesome. That's incredible. Kudos to you. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, man, it's, it's incredible what we do, like, uh, life changing things and fitness. And, and, uh, I wanted to, I guess, uh, ask you what's been the most rewarding thing about being a personal trainer to you? Um, you know, it's, it's, cool to, to have been to a lot of the places that I've been to in, in teaching. So, so it's kind of a couple sides to it on the teaching side, being able to kind of 
teach other trainers and, and uh, going around the world, being able to do that, experiencing different cultures and meeting people all over that, that have, as I said, you know, now, it, you know, guys like Steve, who are a friend who are in England, your friends in Argentina, to, you know, things around the world, people I've been able to make connections with that, that this has allowed me to do that. That is, that is one thing I, that I absolutely am grateful for. The, the, the other thing is the impact, um, you know, that, that I've been able to have in working with, with athletes, especially younger kids and, you know, seeing the difference that they can, that they can tell that I just always kind of hope they can tell, but they can tell when I get a text, you know, saying, I just signed my letter of intent for college. Thank you for everything you did to help me be able to be here. Um, you know, to, uh, you know, those sorts of things, you know, the, the, the state championships, the, the Super Bowl, the, 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 that kind of stuff is obviously very, very cool to, to be around. But, but the, those connections to where you've made some level of impact that, that, that um, affected someone's life is really the, the, the coolest thing of that. And sometimes it's, it's stuff that you don't even realize. You know, um, I'll tell a, um, you know, I'll tell a story to a team about something about, uh, something and not realize the impact it had and, you know, have a kid come up to me three years later and said, I remember my freshman year, you told this story and that's what really made me want to be part of this program, you know? So, um, you don't realize the impact that you can have. And if you, if you just reduce it to showing exercises, going back full circle to what we talked about at the beginning, then it's, it's, it's just kind of a mundane transactional thing as opposed to a transformational thing. Yeah, it's it's uh like I said, it is a good feeling seeing you know your kids come back around and thank you for what you do. I get I get that often. I I used to uh, serve with AmeriCorps as a teaching assistant, and uh, every year I work with students, and then they, you know, I had students that were very you know didn't want to listen to me, didn't want to you know didn't want anything to do with me, and then two two three years later they come back and they'll be like, you know what, Mister, you're right. You know, I should have listened to you from the get go. I'm like that's the reason I always try to mentor you and always try to talk to you is because I want you to succeed. I don't want you to fail. And uh, this particular student in general, he had, he was like going down a dark path. Like he wasn't, his grades weren't good. He was just getting into trouble and the crime and stuff. And, and then I'm like, if you don't turn your life around, it's going to get a lot worse. And you're talking about wanting to do basketball, football, all these things. But if you're doing that kind of stuff, like, you know, you, you won't make it anywhere. And then he, through two years later, he's like, he can't. He came to visit. He opened the door to me. He's like, Mister Day, you remember me? I'm like, Yeah, I remember you. He's like, I got a, I got a full ride scholarship to, to to college. I got my own car and I got my life set thanks to you because you were there for me when when I wasn't listening to you and I should have listened to you from the beginning. So that's uh, and now as a youth advocate, I do the same thing except I'm more of like focusing on their life skills and building building their self-esteem and their image so when they get out of middle school and go through high school and through life they're set you know they got skill they have skills that they can use to help better the world that's exceptional and and that's one of the things that's that is fitness is a very cool vehicle for is if you take you take a step back from all of it like i i i just started with a new group uh, the other night. And I, I said, first question is this, how does exercise work? And they all kind of like looked around and said, right, the basic <laughs> concept of this is that we're going to challenge you and your body's going to go, Oh my God, I don't know what you just did, 
But if you're going to keep challenging me like that, I'm going to have to get better. And so if you lift heavy things, your body will respond by maybe adding a little more muscle or getting more neurologically efficient. So it can, so it can be stronger. Um, if you go run or cycle, uh, you know, long distance, you'll create more cardiovascular and respiratory, uh, you know, uh, adaptations. So it's this idea of challenge. And I say, did for this to work, you know, you need to be two things. You need to be challenged. You need to be successful. So if we're going to lift a, a weight, we're going to go do a, a set of a bench press and we can lift 200 pounds for five reps. And that's what you're, you're supposed to be doing. Then if we lift a hundred, you'll be really successful. You just won't be really challenged. I don't know if you'll, you'll get better at it, but you won't necessarily get stronger. Then if I put 300, well, you'll be really challenged. You just won't be successful. You're going to get stuck underneath the bar. So we have to find that, that point just beyond the edge of your capabilities to push you a little bit more. So maybe we add five to where you might have to struggle to get that last repetition and that's okay. And then what that ends up becoming a metaphor for is a lot of things that, that you go up to is that everything that you want to accomplish, great. All the great things you've done were outside of your comfort zone. You know, and I tell, you know, when I talk to a team, it's, you know, whether it's lifting that weight or whether it's applying for the job that you want, asking out the prettiest girl in the school, whether all those things right. are outside of your comfort zone, but all the, that's where all the great rewards are. And so fitness is a vehicle to teach you that if it's just about, Hey, I want to do an exercise and feel my, my muscles burn, then you're really yeah. short-siding what you can get out of it. It's about overcoming challenge and getting, be able to get outside your comfort zone and get comfortable being uncomfortable. Right. And then how do you feel about, uh, I guess a lot of these, these, uh, this, this generation, a lot of these kids, they go, they see a lot of these commercials with like supplements and, and pre-workouts and things like that. How do you feel about them using it when they go to work out? I mean, just anybody in general. So the, 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 the basic conversation with that is a supplement by definition supplements a good diet. A supplement doesn't replace a bad diet. So uh, I got a great analogy from one of my mentors early on was Paul Check, and he used an analogy of golden nails, right? And what what he means by that if, is if we're going to build a house, right, Dave? Here's the deal: is that you're going to get the nails, and I'm going to buy the wood, right? So you go out and buy these top notch golden nails, so the best nails that you can buy. But I go in the woods and I get old scrap, rotted you know, wet wood to build the house with your golden nails don't really matter anymore. You don't need that good of a nail when you have lousy wood. Well, the wood is analogous to the food you eat. The nails are the supplements. So you can have great supplements, but if your diet's not right, then you're really, you're, you know, to be crass, you're literally peeing your money away. Yeah, you know, you're much. not getting anything out of it. Now, if you have a really good diet, that may make a difference. And most times research shows the supplement may at best make a five to 10% difference. So that's the next question is, are you five to 10% away from being what you need to be? If you're in the Olympics, uh, you know, a 10th of a second, may be the difference between you being a, a gold medalist and not making the top 10, right? So that may right. make a difference. If you're uh, uh, a high school sophomore who doesn't sleep right, who has a very poor diet, who doesn't train consistently or all that hard, that supplement's not going to make a 1% difference with what you're doing. And it's just literally a, a waste of money. So it's relative to the individual if that supplement's going to even make an impact. And then the second part of that is that we have to make sure it's even safe. There was a deal yeah. made with the government back in the 90s 
um, that based with the supplement companies that said, look, you, um, aren't going to have much oversight. Right. And so you and I could right. go and make Eric, Eric and Dave's, you know, yeah. you know, a workout mix pre-workout and in, in the kitchen sink and sell it. Um, the only thing is the deal is you can't patent it. And that was kind of the deal back and forth is drug companies, drug companies can spend a ton of money on research and quality control because they can have a patent, you know, that, that they can make their money back for that period of time until the patent runs out. Well, they don't have that with supplements. We can go buy whatever the most popular sub popular supplement is off the shelf, take it to a lab, figure out what's in it. And then we'll just recreate it ourselves, maybe change one element of it. So it's our specific, you know, private brand and then go sell it. And there's very little oversight with that. Then you get it to the, and then it gets to the store and who's selling it to you in the store. It's some kid who's got a part-time job who, you know, he could have just as easily been working at the gap or working at, you know, the local right. deli, but he happens to be now working at, at, at the vitamin store. And now you're, you're putting your, your trust of your health in that kid's hand. And he doesn't know uh, what's safe, what's not safe. There's the, the, the quality control within these supplements is, is sometimes what you think you're getting in there is not in there. Sometimes what you think you're not getting in there is in there. So um, it, it can be a little bit tricky that you just kind of go in and buy whatever's on the shelf and cross your fingers. So you have to, you have to be a smart consumer and you also have to be prepared. You have to be prepared uh, if you're going to take them. That's not to say there's not any that have, don't have benefit, um, they could have tremendous benefit, but those are the two boxes you have to check. Yeah. I, I used to, uh, used to take them often. And then I realized, you know, a healthier diet is better than taking, a a pre-workout. Cause if you get enough sleep, if you eat well, uh, then you won't, you don't necessarily need a pre-workout. Most of the times pre-workout is just a stimulant. And then why do you need a stimulant? Cause like you said, cause you eat poorly and you don't sleep well. Um, so your best pre-workout is a good night's sleep. Yeah. Cause, um, I used to, I used to have, I used to have them. And then I, I realized that there's sometimes I would take them and I'd have these side effects and I'm like, I don't, I don't like this. So I just, I just scrapped it. Like, uh, the first one I took, uh, I used to take C4 and I would get headaches like horribly. And then I had, I had like the, 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 um, the protein powder, the pre-workout. So one day I was like, if I'm getting headaches, this is not good. So I threw it all out and I'm like, never again. You know, because pre-workout is hard for everybody. Yeah. And and like I said, those are really, really got to qualify. Does is it gonna even matter? Is it gonna really make that much of a difference? Uh, and then two is is there what it says on this bottle, even in this bottle, and what's the the quality of this this product? Um, is your two biggest things with supplements. Oh, um well eric you know it's it's been a whole lot of fun today having you on like you know we've had conversations about uh you know your your fitness techniques and how and your some of your best stories about your clients and and just uh just you in general what you've what you've done so much uh for the fitness community in general is it's been very admirable like i i commend you for it well, I would, I would say the same back to you. Your, your story is a, definitely an inspiration. It was a, it was a pleasure to hear it and, and get to be a part of it. Is, is there any way, um, I guess the listeners can kind of contact you if they're looking to start their own routine or, you know, or if they want to, I guess, consult with you at some point. 
Yeah. So uh, the easiest place to get me is just through my website, which is just my name, Eric Degatti, E-R-I-C-D-A-G-A-T-I.com. Uh, and there's a couple things on there. There's, if you had just have some simple questions, you know, these forums are great, but the, we can't interact sometimes with people who may hear it, uh, you know, uh, a week from now or a year from now. So if you have a question on there, there's something called ask Eric, you ask a question and it'll get sent to my email and I'll, I'll get back to you with hopefully an answer. Or if not, where you might be able to find one. Um, and then for people who uh, want to work with me, I actually have an app so I can work with people uh, not only in person, but, but virtually where I can deliver programs on there. Um, and then as part of my uh, project with, with, teaching trainers. I have a um, course called principles of program design, which teaches trainers and coaches and so forth, how to, how to design training programs. And then to support that, uh, I started my own podcast with my partner about, uh, about six months ago. And we've, we've got about uh, 25 episodes in, and we have guests nice. from all over the fitness industry uh, on there each week. So that's, that's awesome, man. And um, yeah, and all, all these things will be, uh, and the show notes so that way you guys have access to it um and about the app is it on android itunes is it in both it's in both yep both okay yep and uh eric thank thank you for being on man i'm i'm excited i'm definitely going to check out the website to see if i can find things that i can incorporate myself because i'm always looking to reinvent myself physically and uh i hope if everybody wants to listen to this episode It'll be on Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, and every other podcasting outlet out there. And Eric, I hope you have a great one. Thank you for being on again and for giving us your advice and expertise. And Thank you. Keep doing what you're doing, Dave. You're doing great. Th- thank you. Thank you, man. And until next time, you guys, be safe out there.